Good day, good folks. You are listening to Talk That Keeps You Woke. And with your awakening, we hope that you will take in the information and knowledge we provide. So make sure you like and subscribe while you hop on this ride as we inform, persuade, entertain, and engage in discussion. Welcome to Potlicker Podcast, which is knowledge to feed your soul. I may go one half of Potlicker. I go by Dr. A, the inquisitive one. A great debater, Mr. Slow Talker, a rhetorician, and an all-around nice guy, and a member of Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated. The other half of Potlicker is my homie, my dear friend for more than 30 years, Kim Parker Jackson Esquire, the legal one, Mrs. Creativity, never obnoxious, the gifted one, a terrific lady, and a member of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. How we do, how we do, how we do. How are you, partner? And how was your past two weeks? Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to everyone. I am well. My week was good. I'm wearing my pink hat in honor of Breast Cancer Awareness Month and also my purple raven shirt in honor of Domestic Violence Awareness Month. And how was your week? Um, it was productive. Got a lot of work done. Uh, still got some more to do. Um, and with that being said, we are going to kick off our show. And those who watch and listen to our show know we always start off with a wow. Words of wisdom. For the week. And this comes from an oldie but goodie. This is Brother Marcus Garvey. If you don't have confidence in self, you are twice defeated in the race of life. Um, Marcus Garvey, we all know, was a proud black man, uh, proud at that time they called race man um, because he stood up for black people. Um, I look at this because I tell my students something similar to this about the importance of self-confidence uh, and how you work on it um, because being confident uh, in life is very important um, because you're going to interact with a lot of different people and the more confident you appear in my belief the more respect you will obtain and that's just to me, a key uh, to success. What do you say? I agree wholeheartedly with everything you said. And I would only add that confidence is half the battle. And I believe first you must believe and then you can achieve. You can't even fail without confidence. It's like a, a catch-22. You can try and win or you can try and fail but without confidence you won't even you won't even get started you won't even try so i would say just have confidence even if you have to fake it until you make it so these are indeed words of wisdom from brother marcus Scarver. okay And let us move on. Oh, what's going on? What's going on? What's going on? What's going on? Yeah, what's going on? What's going on? Oh, what's going on? What's... 
Okay, so what's going on this week? Uh, should we say the past two weeks? Of course, yeah. we start off with a bit of bad news uh, at two HBCUs um, at Morgan State. At first, there was uh, a shooting on campus. They called it an active shooting. Five people were uh, wounded. And then the following week, uh, well, not even the following week, a few days later, because Morgan had canceled their homecoming, Bowie State, another HBCU in the state of Maryland. Morgan is in the state of Maryland, also in Baltimore. Uh, there was a shooting at their campus. Yeah. Um, so this was a little surprising. But um, I'll let my partner explain a little bit more about it. Well, no. Um, basically, on October 3rd, as you said, at Morgan State University, five people were shot during their homecoming celebration. Um, they said that the five victims were not the targets of the shooting, but I guess they were uh, collateral damage uh, and got caught in the crossfire. Um, there were four men and a woman all between the ages of 18 and 22. And four of those victims at Morgan State University were actual students at the school. So currently, uh, we know that a 17-year-old boy was arrested in D.C. for his role in, in this shooting. And um, we don't we don't know his name yet, but he's being charged with multiple counts of attempted murder. Um, and then authorities are still searching for 18 year old Jovan Williams, who was the second suspect in the shooting at Morgan. Um, and we do know that neither of those suspects the teenage suspects are students at Morgan State University. Um, but we do know that the 18 year old has an outstanding warrant related to his alleged involvement, involvement with a violent gang, apparently called the Kennedy Street Crew. Um, and they were uh, members of that Kennedy Street crew gang were arrested and faced charges related to guns, drugs, assault, and money laundering. And then, so that was October 3rd. So then on Saturday, October 7th, at 11.30 p.m., troopers from the Maryland State Police in College Park who were assisting Bowie State University with security during their homecoming weekend, they responded to a shooting at the school's Center for Business and Graduate Studies. And according to preliminary investigation, two male victims, both 19 years old, um, they were located in front of the Center for Business and Graduate Studies, and they were transported by ambulance to a local hospital and treated for their injuries. And there's no indication at this point that 
either of those victims were students at Bowie State University. So this is just a very tragic, tragic occurrence. But I will say, first of all, thank God nobody was killed, okay, in either of these incidences. But what to me adds insult to injury, first of all, they, the administration at Morgan State University wanted to sort of, well, let me take that back. Administration at Bowie State University wanted to sort of make it a little bit better for the students at Morgan State University where the shooting first, you know, where the first shooting occurred. Um, wanted to make it a little bit better for the students and invited them, gave them all, you know, all the students free tickets to come to the Bowie State University homecoming. And it's like they went from one trauma to another trauma. So that that was what was even more um, heart-wrenching in this whole ordeal. So again, even in, at, at Bowie, nobody was killed, but I, you know, thank God for that. And then secondly, I, you know, just extending my condolences to all of the, the people who were injured in those two shootings. And it just reminds me of the importance of elected officials, because if you remember Kamala Harris uh, was responsible for the, uh, Project School Emergency Response to Violence Initiative. And that was back when we were having the bomb threats at HBCUs. And she decided that it was important to provide short-term grants ranging from $50,000 to $150,000 per school through the Department of Education um, to give this money to HBCU so that they can enhance public safety on their campuses. And I mean, that uh, every little bit helps. That's certainly helpful. And I'm glad that she did that. But as you can see, I mean, the, those funds are sorely needed and we should support HBCUs and fund them as much as possible because, you know, because of incidents like this. So again, I'm, you know, this happened during uh, homecoming events, which incidentally are generally pretty open to the public. Um, so it's only, you can only keep campuses um, safe to a certain extent. But when you have these sorts of open public events, it's even harder. You know what I mean? So, yeah. What do you think? I don't want people to start thinking this is a trend that goes on at colleges and universities across um, the country. These are two unfortunate incidents that happen. And like you said, uh, thank God there were no lives lost. Um, safety and security is significant at every university and college and public school, wherever mm -hmm. you go. Um, there's always going to be way more students and people and young folks to outnumber the amount of security. Sometimes you just need a presence um, and not an overwhelmingly presence because then you feel like you're in a place that's not safe. Um, if you gotta have like 50 or 60 cops out on the campus, um, 
I think it's misfortunate. I, I think shootings anywhere are terrible. But when you're coming to a place of academia where folks, um, I don't care what color you are, just trying to advance in life and try to trying to do the right thing, why are we messing with them? Right. You know, um, I understand anybody can be a Vic, um, you know, but you have young kids attending college. And again, I'll reiterate, I don't care what color they are. I don't care what race they are. They're trying to better themselves, further themselves, advance themselves. And I think that they shouldn't have to deal with the perils of violence. Um, so I hope universities um, look into what they can do to improve or advance the security situations on their campus because of these two incidents. Indeed. And we know that, like you said, this affects everybody because it's it's happened on just about, um, you know, of various college campuses across the country. Remember the one at UVA and then there was one at Virginia Tech and then, you know, so they're, they're, they're anywhere and everywhere. Nobody is immune to yeah. this kind of violence. Northern so, Arizona, Texas Southern. Exactly. These exactly. Were institutions where there were fatalities. Um, right. And it's just unfortunate that kids can't even enjoy their own homecoming in just a, a safe place. It's you know, so, and we're about to send our daughter off to college. And so as a parent, you're always concerned about the safety of your child and all children. And um, we just hope that we can do some, I mean, that's why I feel so strongly about reasonable, sensible gun legislation that can help with incidents like this. I mean, we need all, every and all possible solutions to these kinds of issues that we have to face in our society. I totally agree. Yep. And let us move on. All right. So we move from bad news to good news. There are a, in the state of Alabama, uh, was ordered to use uh, new maps uh, that's going to empower black voters. Uh, Alabama historically had one predominantly black district, but now the way the map has been reshaped, it increases uh, one district from having 30% African-Americans all the way up to 48% African-Americans. So they give that district a better chance of having another African-American representative uh, in Congress. Uh, what say you, partner? Yes, I mean, I think this is a significant and important and welcome decision by the Supreme Court. Um, and basically, it's setting, like you said, setting the stage for a new congressional map. Um, and I mean, this is just, as you said, it, it just highlights the extent to which uh, people will go to dilute the power of the black vote in these in these in these states um although alabama is 27 percent black it's still a republican state correct 
Yeah, but 27%, that means 73% is not. (laughs) Right. But, I mean, this gives Black people in that state, as you said, two Democratic, possibly Democratic, more likely Democratic uh, representatives in in Congress. And, And it just, to me, underscores the importance of local and state elections as well, because these are the people that are making these decisions on these congressional maps. And they can literally, you know, literally determine political outcomes. And so that's why it's important to make sure that you vote. I mean, people think that it's not important, but if people are working this hard where they're resorting to tricks and redrawing maps and things of that sort to try to win elections, that tells you how important voting is. So I agree with uh, the plaintiffs who are represented here by the NAACP Legal Defense and Educational Fund and the ACLU when they said that this decision will be life-changing for the hundreds of thousands of Alabamians residing in the Black Belt who suffer from lack of health care, access, job opportunities, and crumbling infrastructure. Now, the political power will be shared and Black voices will be heard. So, as I said, it's just highlighting the how this is all a part of a diabolical, I would say, plot to silence Black people. And so the fact that the Supreme Court, we got a rare victory from this, uh, you know, majority uh, uh, conservative Supreme Court, we got a rare victory where they can finally see the just how unjust uh, these types of decisions can be. And so, you know, kudos to them for yeah, doing the, the right the word, thing. The word, the word was gerrymandering. Right. Um, how they kind of creative, created, creatively created districts um, that were very conservative and white, um, which made, you know, Republicans have more people in the White House. And then also the state was, you know, only adhering to one side because it was outnumbered. You're going to have places like that. Sometimes there's nothing you can do about it. But at least when you're a congressperson, you do get a voice. So I agree with you. Kudos to this. And hopefully other states in the South will uh, follow Alabama's lead. And with that, being said, and let us move on. Okay. There's a war going on outside, nobody safe from. This is a tough story, but we're going to try to work our way through it. This has to deal with Israel and Hamas. Uh, one of our producers on the show gave us um, a couple of ideas. Uh, 
how to go about talking about this. I first want to say that I don't support war. And it sounds like a contradiction, but I do understand it sometimes. Um, and I always say I believe in that statement that old men start wars that young men have to fight. And that's not fair. Um, this is a violent and evil situation that is going on. Um, in Gaza and in Israel. Um, sometimes we turn, like it's a tragic attack that kills. So a lot of people will say an eye for an eye, you have to defend your citizens. And I would agree with you have to uh, defend your citizens. Because if someone smacks me, I'm going to want to smack them back. That's just a natural reaction, even though God says, turn the other cheek. Um, so there's understanding in there, but then there's all, also there's sympathy and empathy for the other side because a lot of people are losing their lives that don't have to. I mean, and the situation between is Israel and Palestine has been going on for a long time. Um, I just would think people would look at this from a human element and say, nobody has to die while we doing these evil things. It gets people to listen but it seldom changes things. What's your say? Well, as you said, there have been a lot of casualties here. Um, first with the attack on Israel by Hamas where 1,300 people were killed. And mm -hmm. then with Israel striking back as they are... Uh, as they have a right to do, obviously, to defend themselves. Another 2,450 people have been killed um, in Gaza, as you said. And so I don't pretend to understand all of the nuances and intricacies of this conflict that has been going on for decades and decades. Um, and I don't I don't know, I, I feel like I don't know enough about that conflict to be able to pick a side, if you will, to say who's right or who's wrong here. But however, what I, I can talk about what I do know. And what I do know is that, as you said, Hamas is an evil militant terrorist organization. And like any and all terrorist organizations on this planet, they must be eradicated because violence to me, especially against innocent civilians who are caught in the middle, is never the answer to getting what, what you want. Mm 
And so I think that organizations like Hamas are like an, like a cancer on our society. And it's just going to spread and metastasize like a cancer and spread all throughout the world, spread hate and evil throughout the world. And so it has to be excised. It has to be taken, removed, taken out. Um, and I do know that Hamas does not represent all Palestinians and it's a rogue organization. I do know that every human being, however, deserves to have a homeland to which it is connected. Um, I do know that while Palestinians believe that they have been ousted from their homeland, two wrongs don't make a right. And the parties must come together and they must figure out how to live peaceably together as neighbors with one another. I do know and agree with you that Israel indeed has a right to defend itself against this attack and any other attack. And when I think about the conflict as a whole, two, two quotes by Martin Luther King come to mind to me. The first is, true peace is not merely the absence of conflict. It is also the presence of justice. So just because Israel and Palestine went years where there, there, it seemed that they were at peace with each other and there was no violence against each other, it doesn't mean that there was justice in this situation. And I believe that's how the Palestinians feel, like they, don't, they are not receiving justice. However, I think everyone has to feel seen, heard, and respected. And we just all have to have our needs met so we can all live in peace. And the second quote by Martin Luther King that comes to mind with this situation, we are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly, affects all indirectly. And that's why we all need to be concerned about the situation. We should all care deeply about what happens in this situation because we're all a part of a global society. And even if, I mean, we're all affected, even if it's just, we can't even travel to that region of the world because now it's unstable. One of my friends just came back from Jordan and if she had tried to go, you know, just a couple of weeks later than she went, she would, you know, she could have been, been in a very dangerous situation. So fortunately she went like a couple of weeks before this happened, but I mean, we, this affects us all, you know what I mean? So we have to be concerned and we have to figure out how to live peaceably with each other throughout the, the world. So. That's all I can. That's all I can say about it. Okay, I would say well spoken. <laughs> Let us move on. It's hard to transfer <clears throat> when you come out of a story like that. We're going to do our best, but this is something 
a story that appeared that may lighten the load. This has to do with Shadua Sanders' watch. The watch uh, or the celebration with the watch? Well, it's the celebration and the watch itself. Do, do you know what kind of watch that is, by the way? Yeah, they said it was. I know it's a $70,000 watch. It was $30,000, but he put another $40,000 into it to get the diamonds and everything on there. Yeah, there's diamonds everywhere. It's diamond encrusted everywhere. Yeah. Um, what is it called? It is called uh, Audemars Piguet Royal Oak. Mm. 15... 15500 15500 watch. Wow. And it ran him 70000 But the controversy is over him uh, pumping his arm up and down while you know showing off the watch you know called the flex move and some people adore it and think it's great some people feel like he is doing it to market himself and that's genius some people saying say when you show off money as trashy and classless then there's a lot of comments that were said about him he's classless just like his dad blah 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 then the other side is like folks don't like black men to shine um they don't like when black men are in charge of flexing their muscle because they compared it to johnny menzel johnny menzel played at a m like 10 years back and he was doing the money sign you know and he's a white male and they embraced it and loved it shador is doing something with his watch and they're speaking ill about it now. Double well, I'll let you. I'll let, I'll let you talk, and then I'll have my take on it. Go ahead. Well, I, well, I think I think Shador Sanders' watch celebration should be embraced and enjoyed by everyone as just harmless entertainment. That's all I think it is. It's just like the Angel Reese, I, "You Can't See Me," and the 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 Steph Curry "Night Night" sign, and the 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 Shaq. Uh, Superman sign and any other end zone celebration that you might have in football. That's how I see it. Um, and, you know, as far as being ostentatious, ostentatious or showy or arrogant or what have you, I think it's just Shador Sanders being who he is. Everybody knows his father is Deion Sanders. Everybody knows that he grew up uh, in a wealthy family. And that he has money. So whether he has this watch on or not, I don't see what the harm is. I mean, and I know you think it's showy and flashy and all that, but what if he what if he didn't have the watch on? What if he just made all the, right, so let me, the let gesture? Me, let, Would let, it make let, a let, difference to let, you? Let me let me speak for myself. Okay. Let me say that. I'm gonna start there. Okay. All right. So everything you said. You said it's similar to Shaq doing the Superman, Angel Reese doing it, You Can't See Me, and Steph Curry doing a, I'm Putting You to Sleep. Mm -hmm. The reason why I disagree with that is because none of them use props. None of what them have it? a... Go ahead. None of them have a $70,000 watch on doing so. They're not doing that. 
You say it's okay to be ostentatious. That's him being him. My take on this, I think when you do that, you're not acting humble. You're telling folks, and they said, they're saying, you know what time it is. He can do this to say, you know what time it is. Like, he can point to his wrist like, y'all know what time it is, you know. But when you flash in a $70,000 rock and watch into people's faces, I think that's not being humble. I, I think that you're stunting on other folks. Like, look what I got and you don't. And I just say it's dangerous to me to do that against, especially in a game of football, where you are allowed to tackle and hit people hard and you can do extra stuff that's illegal, but that can get you hurt. And so I'm all I'm simply saying is sometimes you, you reap what you sow. And I also want to state, I wish nothing against Shador Sanders. I hope he is protected. I hope his God protects him. I hope he doesn't get injured. And hopefully no other football player gets injured. I hate to see that. But I would feel people on opposing teams that do not have that NIL deal that he has will resent that. And they would think, you know, he's pumping that in his face, in their faces. And there's a possibility that they might take vengeance out on him because of that. That's my thought of him. I don't flashy. You want to be that? There's always Steph Curry is flashy when he does the sleep. Shaq is Angel Reese mimicking the girl from Iowa doing that. Yeah, that's flashy. That's like reverse taunting. I get that, you know. But this one's a little different. And people pointing to their ring finger like, yeah, I'm about to get this ring. So, I mean, I I, I agree with you when you say, because, I mean, I just, I prefer for athletes to be humble. I, that's how I would be. Um, and, but, you know, because it gives your opponent fuel when you showboat like that. Um, it happened. It happens in basketball. It happened in the series when remember somebody was taunting somebody and they came alive and scored like and ended up winning the game. Uh, what's his name? I can't think of his name right now. For the Heat, Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler, right? When he got taunted and came back and and same thing with uh, waking sleeping giants and and you know, uh, and putting the battery in your opponent's back. That's what you do sometimes when you showboat. But I mean, I disagree. I think you are underestimating opponents who may be jealous of his uh, NIL deals. I think they could possibly be inspired by it. This may be something that they aspire to. How do you know that they're not saying, yeah, go ahead, Shador, do it because that's how I want to be too. They might be cheering him on. There's some oh, that's know. there are some that are inevitably doing that. It's not. I'm not saying it's you know all or nothing. I'm. I, I just say there could be people who have a different mentality. I don't think you need to put on your seventy thousand dollar watch and pump it into the crowd. 
I don't showing off money to me has never been class. People say, well, if you drive it and wear it, it's showing it off. Not necessarily. It ain't putting it in people's faces. They might see it, but if it's still a watch to you and you only do watch things with it, yeah. Like I don't pump my Apple Watch in the in the in the sky. And well, do that's that. not seventy thousand, but well, let me. No, ask. it's not seventy thousand, but it's also not a cheap watch either. Well, let me ask you this: Would you would your position change if he didn't wear the watch and he just did the gesture? Yes, of course it would. <laughs> That's what I said. He can do this because I read. He says it's going to stating like y'all know what time it is. You can do this if you're looking at me. Hold on, yeah. let me let me point to your point to your yeah, wrist. Yeah, you can I point to you. your wrist and and. But, but you said okay, so he's not wearing this watch during the game, obviously, right? No, he's doing it after the game. Right. So he, somebody on the sideline, a coach or or someone else, is handing him his watch after games for him to put on, which means that they're condoning this, which means that they don't see it being a problem for the team, which means why should you be concerned if they're not concerned? I, that, that's number one. That, that that that's a fallacy two, argument right there. Because the argument, yeah, it's yeah, because you basically saying because of what one person does, other people should like he's the coach, and I'm telling him he, he's a coach, they hold his watch, right? He he brings it out on the field. For one, I wouldn't have my watch out on the field if there's a locker room in there, the lock that's where all my stuff would be. What I'm saying is he's supported by the organization. It, I don't care. I'm so just why, you, know. you don't know if he's supported by everybody on there just because he, he doesn't. That's his watch. He's allowed to do what he wants to do. You think his father, who's in charge, would his father said that... he find if he finds it funny, but his father, right. his father also said was the one that said, Do you as a college student, do you need a Maybach as a college student? A hundred and seventy thousand dollar truck? Do you need that? So what I'm trying to say is I'm not trying to dispute anybody. I'm just giving my opinion. And my opinion is based on his safety. That's what it's based on. You can be a flashy dude if you want to, but, a flashy person if you want to. But Dr. A, everybody knows Shador Sanders is Deion Sanders' son and that he comes from money. If somebody was going to do something to him, they're going to do something to him. Everybody know he's got, you know, yeah, look, money. I grew up so, with kids. Where, I, I, watch. I grew up with kids that had money. Some of them flaunted it, but the majority of them did not. You just don't go places. Even you and I, who are in particular situations, you don't go out stunting on people who don't have what you have. You don't do that. You ain't you ain't driving in poor neighborhoods. Like Chris Rock would say, look at y'all poor MFs. He's like, he's you don't do that, you know. You skinny girls don't ride around town saying, Look at all you fat bees. You they think don't Sanders is the only one that has money. Other people have money. It's not about money, Kim, It's not about that's having what you making it. That's what you're no, making it, it about, no, though. No, I'm not. So when you say that, you're so wrong. You're making it I'm, about haves and have nots. And the no, haves I'm making it about not. him flashing and flaunting money. 
Well, you know, now he's influenced professional, other professional athletes to do this now. Yeah. And they're young yeah. too. And they're young. It's too. just oh. harmless entertainment. That's what I think. Um, yes, I'm right. No, I don't believe that. <laughs> I believe like if you have kids that go to a regular, uh, let me say this. Let me say this. We have this debate and argumentation and debate about school uniforms. A lot of times, some school districts have school uniforms put on to mm -hmm. take away the tension and fighting in school. Some kids will come to school with J's on. For those of y'all don't know, those are um, Air Jordans, right? Or Yeezys when they were popular. And they would have $400 sneakers. They would get fought. Their sneakers would get stolen. If they came to school with some jewelry on, their jewelry will get stolen. If they came to school with a nice jacket on, their jacket would get stolen. Where was this? This was in several cities around the world, but I'm going to just talk about Baltimore mm -hmm. at first. Right? And so they implemented a school uniform policy where the kids had to wear Dickies in each grade from freshman to a senior had to wear a different color polo shirt mm -hmm. that they were allowed to wear. And they had to wear a certain type of shoes. A lot of money was donated so folks can get like the Dockers or the Sperry's, even down to the, the shoes. Or there would be violations you would get in trouble for. So what I'm saying is they did that because some students who did not have didn't like the students that had and it caused danger. What I'm saying is you have that NIL deal. Now, another quarterback at another institution like Caleb Williams at USC, he has an NIL deal. He mm -hmm. makes a lot of money. He's not going to take it any type of way what Shador Sanders is doing with his money because he has the money to go out and get it. I'm saying you're playing against some kids who don't have the NIL deal, don't have a chance at uh, getting an NIL deal. And this is what's happening. So what I'm simply saying is that I just think he should be aware of his surroundings and what he's doing and just be careful. I think this is just a revolution in college sports, basically, with the NIL deals. I think we'll all adjust to college athletes being a bit more flashy um, under the circumstances, because now they do have these opportunities to earn this kind of money. And I think everybody understands that and people will adapt. You know what I mean? So not everybody's going to be jealous. That's just the way it is. Any more than you would be jealous of anyone else in the public eye. It only takes one person. It only takes one person to be envious of that to hurt him. That's it. So it's well, not I about. Think, I, mean, think you, case, I think I'm saying what, what I'm doing. He's I'm doing saying I'm saying something, and you're misconstruing it and looking at it another way. I'm talking about his safety. That's what I'm talking about. When you go around flaunting in people's faces your money and they don't have money there's some people's like okay i'm I, i'm gonna get this guy i'm gonna get Dr. A, but do you agree that that is the case whether 
Shador is flashing a watch or not? No, I don't. I think if he was humble, no. I think they just would tackle him on on the field. If he's humble and he speaks well to the media, yeah. There's a certain amount of respect that you would garner because they would look at him and say, he's just a hardworking and a talented person, right? Now, there's a chance somebody can go out there and hurt him, but I'm saying to me, nobody's going to have sympathy from you when you keep doing that. If Now, if he didn't have the watch on, who wouldn't care? Who wouldn't they wouldn't, care? Huh? I said people wouldn't care as much. They might still try to hurt him. And when they tackle, because already when they tackle him, they're going like this. Right. <laughs> going and back to their face. Yeah. yeah. I'm just concerned he might get hurt. That's my concern. Like, dude, somebody going to hurt you because they don't like what you're doing. Well, what did uh, Travis Hunter flash before he got blasted on the sideline? He he didn't. It was, nothing. It was he a dirty, flashed nothing, it was right? A, it was a dirty play. With that right, team. and you're going to get that. Watch or no watch. Okay. <laughs> Let me say that that watch is the extra motivation. Like I Trust said, me. I agree. That, that is putting a battery in. Extra in motivation. Yeah. That, That's like you growing up and you don't have Louis Fendi or Gucci purses and your home room classmate comes in and every time she come in she go by your desk and go hey <laughs> hey and you saying in your mind i'm gonna get this b one day right <laughs> or i'm gonna get somebody else to get her. i'm just saying you don't have yeah. she could just wear the purse right well this, that, yeah. this gonna, there's gonna be hate because of that but she ain't flashing it but see doctor and you have to realize not everybody is materialistic like that it wouldn't bother me because I'm just not materialistic. I'd be like, okay. so, so that will you just that right? wasted a bunch of money on an overpriced okay, so bag. So let, let me say, let me say what you just did because I can help my teachers. That's called a straw man argument, right? You took it to a different argument, saying that everybody's not materialistic. Well, I'm not arguing. I'm not arguing if people are materialistic or not. I'm arguing that if he's flashy with that, I. Just me. I'm just going to say to me, I'm worried about what jealous or envious person can do on the field to him. I know, but I've already said not everyone is going to have that reaction. Some people are going to be, <laughs> some people are going to support him and some and people I are agree going to you. say, this is something that I aspire to as well. I agree. Including with you. opponents on another team. I this agree with you. And we'll be happy that he's able to earn this kind of money. I agree with he's you. He's paving the way for other athletes to come behind him and get the same kind of money. I agree with so, you. There's, yeah, no, so. there's nothing right there that you said is wrong. I'm just saying there's also the potential of what I say too. Yeah. That's right. True. So cause because you possible. can't say you can't say that this completely this completely negates everything that i've said because there are some kids that admire that right you're gonna have kids that admire it and be like do your thing shador and then you're gonna have some kids that say if i can get to this guy i'm gonna get to this guy and yeah. all i'm saying is that i don't think it's the watch that's making the difference it's just the mindset of the person and their perception 
That's that's if all. If the watch ain't making a difference, why is the watch and him showing off news? Why is it that people are saying like he's because, acting classless? He's because it is new. It, it that's going to be re- be the reaction when somebody is doing something new and different that we haven't seen before. That's why. You think that's the reaction? It's yes. Who, who has who did this before Shador Sanders? Nobody in football because exactly. you're not allowed to have jewelry. So that's why it's news. And the fact that, that the spotlight is already on Deion Sanders, Shador Sanders, Colorado University. The spotlight's already there. So that's why this is news. All right. But I just think it's harmless, fun, entertainment. Go ahead, Shador. Do your thing. Let us move on. And let us move on. All right. We have a special guest. This is not her first time on the show. She is coming back for the second time. So we are going to, I'm going to let my partner introduce her. Yeah. So before we, before we bring in my lovely friend of the show, um, it's hard to go. I feel like we, we, I feel like we have whiplash today going from sad stories to happy stories to sad stories. But yeah, so this, uh, this segment, uh, was it, this segment, um, is also about more so Senator Diane Feinstein, who was a trailblazing politician who recently passed away on September 29, 2023, at the age of 90 years old. Senator Feinstein was a graduate of uh, Stanford University in 1955, and she served as a United States Senator from California from 1992 until her recent passing on September 29, 2023. She was a member of the Democratic Party, and she had previously served as mayor of San Francisco from 1978 to 1988. In November 1992, she became California's first female United States senator, and she was re-elected five times. In the 2012 election, she received 7.86 million votes, the most popular votes received by any United States candidate, Senate candidate in history. She authored the 1994 federal assault weapons ban, and she was the first woman to chair the Senate Rules Committee and the Senate Intelligence Committee and the first to preside over a United States presidential inauguration. Senator Feinstein chaired the Senate Intelligence Committee from 2009 to 2015. By the time of her death, Feinstein was the oldest sitting United States Senator and member of Congress. She was also the longest serving United States Senator from California and the longest tenured female Senator in history. And guess what? I know someone personally who worked with this amazing trailblazing politician or elected official. And her name is Jerron Levi. She's a friend of the show. She's been here before. Jerron Levi is senior vice president and head of government affairs at America. 
American FinTech Council, and she's the founder and managing member of Levi Consulting and Law, LLC. She's a graduate of the University of California at Berkeley and the Howard University School of Law. Welcome to Pot Liquor Podcast. Welcome back, our friend. You know her, you love her, Jerron Levi. Hi, Jerron. What an intro. And let me say that you are doing your Alma Adams today. Emma? Emma? Do you know Congresswoman Alma Adams? With the hat? Yes. 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 Well, you, you know, are. this is in honor of Breast Cancer Awareness Month, my pink cowboy hat. But generally the hats, you just oh yeah, I love them. Remind me and the glasses. You are reminding me of <laughs> another another woman. legendary yes. female politician yes. from the opposite side of the coast, Florida, Al Adams. Right. So hi Jerron. So yeah, first we want to just, you know, get your reaction to Diane Feinstein's passing. Where were you and what were your thoughts when you first heard about her passing? Well, you know, um, Senator Feinstein really uh, was such a towering figure in my professional life. Um, she was, well, the second job I had on Capitol Hill. Um, I came to work for, work for her right after uh, she came to the Senate. And, um, you know, she just had such a great impression uh, on me in my early professional career in Washington. Um, and, you know, it's been very hard to watch over the last couple of years as all of the pressure around her as such a towering figure, um, you know, uh, to retire and just all of the speculation and all of that, because I know so, so many of the great accomplishments, uh, you know, uh, she uh, made throughout her career. So, you know, on the night of her passing, um, you know, dozens of her uh, former staff and current staff met to sort of reminisce and share stories about, uh, we affectionately, early in her career, she was known as Di-Fi. <laughs> So we were sharing a lot of stories about Di-Fi and uh, just all of the great, uh, you know, legislation she passed, moments she had on the Senate floor, and even how she came to be mayor of San Francisco, uh, and, you know, which really sparked her interest in gun control. So um, a great... A uh, great legendary figure who had uh, such a great impact on my life, but so many others, um, uh, and just in terms of how she did politics. Mm -hmm. So what exactly was your official position on her staff, and how did you get this prestigious position? Well, um, uh, she actually, um, it, it's interesting, I worked on the House side, uh, mm -hmm. for member uh, Congressman Gus Savage from the South side of Chicago. And he was controver very controversial figure mm -hmm. for his anti-Semitic views, actually. Mm -hmm. um, and so, um, and, and other things, but, you know, 
loved uh, Congressman Gus Savage for many things he accomplished for, you know, African-American contractors and set-asides and all of that. But anyway, he lost his seat. Um, and so I just got a call from Senator Feinstein's office. I subsequently found out at when we all got together the other night following her passing that they picked me because I had this controversial history. Uh, her, her legislative director said, you know, folks are probably not going to, uh, you know, we'll look at her her history with this controversial congressman and not, you know, maybe not be interested in that. Mm -hmm. And she picked me because of that. Uh, <laughs> Diane Feinstein, who Jewish. Um, and so um, anyway, she called me up. I went and worked for Senator Feinstein. I started out uh, really as a, what you call a legislative correspondent, mm -hmm. answering the mail by and large. And as mm -hmm. you can imagine from a state like California, she got a lot of mails, just, a lot of mail. <laughs> you know, constituents writing in on all types of topics. And so I was one of her staff who uh, answered the mail. And then I rose to be legislative counsel. She sat on the House, I mean, on the Senate Judiciary Committee. And I went on to become one of her uh, legislative counsels, uh, notably on the assault weapons ban. I, I pulled out this, this uh, uh, headline uh, this headline wow. from the Washington Post that she framed and gave to me and wrote a little note at the top. Uh, we we worked on, I worked on her assault weapons bill and I, you know, awesome. frequently, yeah, I frequently say I walked a hole in my shoe for that lady. Can you read what she wrote at the top of that? Yeah, she, she wrote, Jerron, thanks for the help. We did it. Diane Feinstein, and this was right after the House House wow. Vax ban on assault assault guns. Right after they passed uh, the legislation, and there's a picture of her, Chuck Schumer, and Mel Reynolds, um, uh, a congressman. Uh, he actually succeeded my old boss, and uh, uh, Chuck Chuck Schumer. Um, wow. and so, yeah, that is a great piece of memorabilia yes. for you to have. I hope you, uh, keep that and cherish it for many, many years to come. So what, uh, tell us what was your most memorable moment working with her? For example, any funny stories or lessons that you learned from her? or anything that you were able to glean from her as this powerful uh, senator? Well, I'm, it, it, I mean, we worked on so many issues together, but certainly the assault weapons ban, um, you know, she, she was really relentless in her pursuit on that. I mean, we got, you know, uh, when I subsequently served in public office, I used to say, listen, if you want to get people energized, mess with the guns and the animals. Okay. You're going to get a lot of mail, a lot of phone calls, just mess with the guns and the animals. Okay. And see what happens to you in public life. I mean, you get the energy. Okay. Yeah. Um, but she was just really relentless in her pursuit of that. Um, and she tasked me with going around the country to, um, collect stories of, 
incidents that had occurred with semi, you know, semi-automatic assault weapons, AK-47s, AR-15s, M11s, and the like. Um, and you know, just her approach to that, uh, how to shape a persuasive argument, how to uh, be unrelenting and you know a towering force uh, a force to be reckoned with in this body which you know at that point I think it was a historic number of women had come to the body it was really you know kind of a man's club and here here comes this figure coming in with this very controversial piece of legislation and really taking on uh, many in the body and the institution and so it was really a master class uh, in, you know, how to thrive under those circumstances. So um, just, you know, the way she constructed that fight and didn't relent in it. Um, and just, you know, she was just known for so many things uh, in the, in, you know, on, on, um, on staff. I mean, I remember <laughs> we were talking about this, you know, she had, she had a dress code in the office, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, uh, women were to dress a certain way, but she also, you know, pantyhose, for example, can you imagine? Um, I was always a pretty uh, formal dresser, but she mm -hmm. definitely had a dress code. Uh, you had to wear office. pantyhose as a woman? She wanted her, <laughs> yes, she wanted women to wear pantyhose. And, you know, if you were wearing a skirt, she was, pretty strict on the dress code. And it, at first, it, I mean, it could seem like it was somewhat feminist, but the right. men, but the men, she was tough on the men. Listen, one of our, my fellow colleagues uh, went to, it was during a congressional recess where the members of Congress and the senators are back in their district. Mm -hmm. One of our staff met with a California constituent during that recess period mm -hmm. uh, and came to the meeting in jeans. Uh -oh. And oh my goodness, she reamed him out. She just thought that was so disrespectful, even though it was a relaxed period right. to meet with a California constituent in jeans. She, she was like, you know, who do you think you are? You know, it, she, she viewed it so she was just from the old school in that mm -hmm. regard. Uh, mm -hmm. But you see a lot of the stories about how she had this dress code for the women, but men too. Okay. Okay. Equal opportunity. Equal mm -hmm. opportunity. So um, as you know, she was 90. And, and let me, let me tell you one other thing. We also had these shirts uh, printed up. Uh, and we took a picture, you know, how Nike used to have that, that, that swoosh, just do it. Uh -huh. She was known for that. You know, you, you come in there with all your questions and everything, but she'd say, you know, just do it. And <laughs> inevitably she was right. But anyway, go ahead. What were you going to ask? Oh, wow. So you're talking about like when she gave you an assignment and you come in with questions, she's like, just go do it. And don't be just asking. All do it. I mean, sometimes <laughs> she would just say, sometimes she would say, who's the Senator? Do it. I you know, know what I mean? You know, like we're all little junior that. staff. We think we know stuff, you know. <laughs> you know what? The way you describe her, it's very ironic that she passed the assault weapons ban because I just summed everything up into she was a pistol. No pun intended. <laughs> she was. That's funny. But 
everything as hard as she required us to work, she worked uh, just as hard for okay. sure. Wow. So my last question, I'll let you get out of here unless Dr. A has a follow-up. As you know, Senator Feinstein was 90 years old when she passed away. And as you had mentioned, it was kind of hard to watch her decline for the last couple of years, her health and everything. So I'm just curious, um, how do you respond to people who think that politicians should not remain in office past a certain age and they should yield their positions to younger people with fresher, newer ideas? Um, for example, Mitch McConnell comes to mind, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, uh, Joe Biden, et cetera. What, how do you respond to that? You know, I, I personally don't think there should be an age limit. Mm -hmm. If you have the mental acumen to do the job, I think you should do the job. Um, so it's not an age, mm -hmm. in my view. It's the mental agility. The you know, if if you can do the job at any mm -hmm. age, you should be able to do it. It's not you know. There's no. I mean, I know corporations have certain frequently publicly traded corporations may have a age limit, but I do think um, it, it should be whether you, and, and there are some questions about that. I mean, there are some politicians in office where you might uh, uh, question their mental acuity and <laughs> maybe there can be measures of that, but I don't think age is the marker. It's whether you can uh, carry out the functions of the job and, um, you know, even though young people come with new ideas, there's something to the institutions, understanding the institution and getting steeped in areas of the law and the history of those, of, of those laws. That makes sense. So, Dr. A, do you have any questions? If not, I got one last thing and I'm really going to let you get out of here after this. One. <laughs> it's all right. I, I don't have any questions about... Uh, the late uh, Diane Feinstein. Okay. So, but go ahead. So I was just going to ask, as you can see, Jerron has a wealth of knowledge. She um, has a lot of experience, obviously. And I just want to know, Jerron, with your uh, Levi Consulting and Law, LLC, mm -hmm. what service do you provide to your clients and how can they reach you? Well, I, thank you for asking. Um, well, you know, I, basically, over the years of being around government, federal and state, um, you know, I've developed a lot of relationships uh, in the U.S. Congress, across the administration, in many state bodies, and have come to understand how uh, government works and what moves the machinations of government, you know? Um, so essentially, if you have an issue that you are trying to move through that, um, you know, I assist folks and I have a variety of issues I've specialized in over the years, but I'm doing a lot around financial services, financial technology, AI, um, and, a lot of other issues dealing with bank policy and, and, and things like that. But essentially, I think in government relations, you think like this, you have to uh, have the ability to think strategically about 
how to move through things through that complexity called government. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, communicate persuasively, uh, act decisively, and um, you know, manage effectively. It's not easy. It's a lot of complexity, and you know, probably we can all remember the days at our age of I'm just a bill sitting here on Capitol Hill. Right. Um, <laughs> it's no, oh, no, no small effort to get to the finish line from uh, just being that bill. <laughs> <laughs> and you're the one that's going to help escort them through. Well, you know, that's <laughs> through the process and the regulatory morass. Okay. Right. All right. Well, Dr. A, unless you have anything, we're going to let Miss Levi get out of here. Yeah, let's let's bring her back uh, because mine's is on a totally different topic and I don't want to go into another direction. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's been a pleasure. Well, all right. Hot liquor. <laughs> Thank you. And see you next time. All right. See you later, guys. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, all right. Mm. What did you want to talk about? I'm just curious, Stanley. You kind of was going toward it as far as your last question, what does she do? And then I was going to get in some things about politics today, of how both sides are so much against each other. Mm -hmm. They're just voting their way. Um, It's like, you can't tell me you're a Republican are you a Democrat? And sometimes people on the other side of the aisle have something that makes sense to do you that you can support, but you won't support it because you're a Democrat or Um, you won't support it because you're a Republican. How much does that go on? Then how much does it really cost to push an agenda? Like in the state of Texas, you got these um, automobile companies and these people that own oil that doesn't want the cities in Dallas, Houston, San Antonio, Austin, to um, have transportation systems because they want them to keep purchasing automobiles and keep purchasing gas. And you know, how, how can something like that be broken or it never will because folks that work in the oil industry just have globs of money that they can give and then that means a politician is purchased, mm. you know. Well, so I was going to say, what would be her strategies uh, to compete against um, a well-financed or well, you know, pun not intended, a well-oiled machine? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that's well, what I was going to talk about. That would have been a good. I don't think that would have been off-topic. That would have been a good question. No, but, but I'm saying we spent a lot of time on okay. Diane Feinstein. She okay. was on for a while. So right. let's have her back. Okay, sure. So. And let us move on. Here we go, yo. Here we go, yo. So what's the, what's the, what's the scenario? Here we go, yo. Here we go, yo. So what's the, what's the, what's the scenario? So the scenario today is if you're in the parking lot in Walmart and you're on your telephone mm-hmm. and you see a young 
uh, well, a lady get out of the car and she drops an envelope and walks into Walmart. You finish up your phone call and you get out the car and you're walking toward Walmart and something tells you to go see what's inside the envelope. And you do. And it's $2,500 in cash. Mm -hmm. My first question in the scenario is, what would you do? Oh, I'm going to go try to find the lady and give her her money back. Okay. What's a better thing to do than try to find her? Uh, I don't, I wouldn't necessarily make sure to to make sure she gets the money. Are you suggesting that I would take it to the manager or customer service at Walmart? No, stay near the car because there's a possibility. Oh, okay. On the Walmart, you don't find her and she's on the way out. That's a good point. Yeah, I didn't think about that. So, um, but I would, the the bottom line is I would try to get the money back to her the best way possible. But I mean, sometimes, well, actually, it depends on how much time lapsed between the end of your phone call. And when she went into the store, because, you know, if you could still see her, obviously you can run after her and give it to her. But so, uh, Professor Wiley, who used to teach at Texas Southern University, he's also on the radio show. Mm-hmm. And, and he is a Christian comedian. Mm-hmm. He was saying like on one of his stand ups. When you're in Christ, you know, there are certain things as a test. And then there's certain things that are blessings. <laughs> so he Ooh, was like, blessing. is that a blessing or is it a test? <laughs> right. That's funny. Uh, so the second part is if the lady's not there, there's no mm-hmm. cars around and you oh, see no. the envelope. And it's Finders keepers? Finders keepers? That's where my students are like, oh, I'm going to keep it. I'm going to keep it. I'm going to keep it. And I said, you wouldn't return it. To the manager in Walmart? No, sir. Not I said the chicken. And a lot of my students said no, because they'll probably keep the money. Then I asked them, well, what if you were the manager in Walmart and somebody brought the $2,500 into you? They all said, I wouldn't keep. I said, but you just said that all y'all just said the manager probably wouldn't keep it. Then they said, well, I trust me. I said, okay, so we go through life just trusting ourselves and not trusting others? I would not trust anyone with $2,500. Wow. I would, if, yeah, I would keep it if I were the manager and just wait and see if someone comes to me to see if if anyone turned money in. And then I would obviously ask them, how much is it? What are the denominations? And if they answer correctly, I'll give it back. Because that's but a lot of money for somebody. I get it. But as a civilian, you saying, I'm not giving it to the manager because you don't trust the manager. Someone yeah. you don't know. So that means to me, you're more of glass is half empty than half full. You're more cynical that way because no. you don't believe in the goodness of others. You only believe in the goodness of yourself and those you know. No, you have to go by what you know. And what you know about yourself is that you 
are an honest person and that you are going to give the money back. I don't know the other person. I'm, I could take a chance. I mean, because like I said, we trust people every day that we don't know. We trust yeah. everyone when we're driving that they're going to follow all of the rules of the road. Yeah. We trust uh, people with our health. When we go to doctors, we get vaccinations. We trust that we what trust they're giving us is what they're saying they're giving us. We yeah. trust people. What was that? I said, yeah, trusting other passengers on the bus and subways. Exactly. So we trust yeah. people all the time. But to me, this is a situation in which a higher level of trust is required. Why? You know, because because $2,500 is it's involved. Not, it's, and there's no identification with the, the money. The highest trust to me is getting on the subway and believing and trusting that everybody else on that subway is not going to have a bomb and blow up the car. Right. And that the driver is in is not impaired and that you're going right. to get where you're going safely. Right. Yeah. So there's different contexts because I believe at night you're going to have more impaired drivers. Possibly. Because nothing good happens after 12. Well, I mean, people you can drink. have you can have an impaired driver at all times of the you day. You can at any time, but the likelihood of impaired drivers is going to be after happy hour during the day. Because what time does happy hour start? Start at four, and it might oh, go right. till seven. So the later you're out here, because you can just test it going home. When I go to parties late. I mean, I get home late and late for me could be 10, 30, 11 o'clock. Mm -hmm. There are people driving home in these F-150s swerving around. So I, I, I don't want to get too much in that because I want to go back to our original scenario. Um, I like what you said about giving information to the managers mm -hmm. and and having them contact you. Mm -hmm. And then you meeting somewhere and giving them the cat. I I I, I do you think like that. that is more prudent. That's so. In that, other words, go if, to. The you didn't tell me that I would have given the money because oh, okay. my good deed is done. You you're saying, in other words, go to the manager at Walmart and say, "Here's my information. I found some money. If someone calls you looking for money, have them contact me." Yeah. They they might be. What if they say, "Well, can you get give me the money?" And they try to make you leave the money. They can't make you do that because it's not in their possession. Honey, these days I would not be surprised if the Walmart called nine one one. They was can like, call nine one one all they want. Customer to. here. You can talk. It even says it uh, in the law. What is it? That statement. I remember that from law school. What. About three-fifths of the law is possession, something like that. If you're in possession of it, it's yours. But you know? if you say that you found it in the Walmart park parking lot, now it's there's a question of whether, how is it yours if it's found on someone else's property? They could argue that. I know that's a, to me, that's a tenuous argument, but it's an argument and they could try to make it. That's what I'm saying. So... That's why I don't trust people. I'm telling you. They would have to go to court and do all of that. Then. Well, that's what I'm saying. They're not going to get the money off my person. 
that's why I, I, I hesitate. Matter of fact, now that you said that, I might even go home and call and say, uh, yes, I was there at your store earlier and I found $2,500. Oh, not $2,500. I found some money. If someone calls you and said, and asks if someone turned in money, tell them to call me. Here's my number. Matter of fact, that's probably better because now you're at home and not on Walmart property. You see what I'm saying? These people are crazy out here and very litigious. Yeah. So that is uh Here we go, yo. Here we go, yo. So what so what so what's the scenario? Here we go, yo. Here we go, yo. So what so what so what's the scenario? And let us move on. Like this. Keep it keep on. Well, all right. So today we want to highlight as our little known black history fact, Effa Louise Manley. Effa Manley was born on March 27th, 1897 in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. She co-owned the Newark Eagles baseball franchise in the Negro Leagues with her husband, Abe Manley, from 1935 to 1948. In 2006, she posthumously became the first and only woman inducted into the National Baseball Hall of Fame. She was chosen by the Special Committee on Negro Leagues for her work as a sports executive. Effa Manley, our little known Black history fact. Let us move on. Oh, hell no. Oh, hell no. So this went viral. A white substitute teacher wears an AKA jacket. Now, your, my partner and I are a part of the Divine Nine. She is a... She is a... What? The, la the lady that I, wears the jacket? My partner and I are a part of the <laughs> Divine Nine. You can see she's oh. working today. Uh, <laughs> part of Divine Nine. She is a member of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. And I am a member of Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated. And what would you do if you saw someone that was not in your sorority wearing a Delta jacket. Well, it's funny that you asked this question <laughs> because this actually happened to me back around the time that I first pledged 
Um, I had a Delta Sigma Theta red and white umbrella. And I have a nephew who's four years younger than I am. At the time, he was in high school. And I knew that he took my umbrella, my Delta Sigma Theta umbrella, to school this particular day because it was a rainy day and I, I couldn't find my umbrella. Do you know, I walked from our family's home all the way up to the, the local high school. In the rain? Called in, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't remember now. It's been that long ago. Maybe I got another umbrella. Maybe I was so mad I walked in the rain with no umbrella. And I went up to that high school. I pulled him out of that class. And I said, give me my umbrella right now. Don't you dare. And he probably, he was like, he didn't know, right? It's an umbrella. Like, what's the problem? But I mean, when you first cross those burning sands, it's serious. Like, you know, you, you, I worked for, I've worked hard for this. So give me my umbrella. But what's what's funny, fast forward to today, he went to college now. He graduated from Livingstone College. He is now a member of Phi Beta Sigma Fraternity Incorporated. And he we laugh to this day about that story. And looking back, he's like, what the heck was I? I had no clue. Like if that happened to him now, now he sees like this is serious business. You don't you don't perpetrate a fraud and wear the paraphernalia of a black Greek letter organization that you are not a member of. So that is serious. That's a serious problem. And this, no, I was about to say that's, uh, this is a serious matter, but I'm not an AKA. <laughs> it's still a serious matter. It's a serious matter. <laughs> Let us move on. Give it up, give it up, give it up. All right, the most beautifulest thing in this world. Uh, Cleovis in Arwalda Whiteside have been married for 84 years. Wow, that's beautiful. <laughs> 84 years. 30 years longer than I've been on earth. They got married in 1939. I believe he is 102 years old and she is 98. A beautiful black couple. Yes. That's a great picture you have of them there. 84 years old. So wouldn't it be great if we could get them on our podcast to talk about their experience and any words of wisdom they could share with us? We got to get them on. that, That would be great. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> if I do say so myself. Well, so, my in-laws have been married for 59 years. Maybe we should get them on the podcast. Yeah, that's that's, <laughs> that's a long time. Tell me about it. Longer than I, we, you and I have been alive. alive. Yeah, yeah. All right. Awesome. So... All right, so today we have a repeat. We did not have any plugs today. 
Uh, sorry about that, but our words of wisdom, our wow for the week came from Marcus Garvey. If you don't have confidence in self, you are twice defeated in the race of life. Our first what's going on was shooting at Morgan and Bowie. Um, our second, Alabama is ordered to use a map with two districts that empower black voters. We then talked about the war between is Israel and Hamas, and then we talked about Shador Sanders and his watch. We interviewed Jerron Levi, who talked about Senator the passing of Senator Diane Feinstein and her uh, experience of working with her. Uh, the little-known Black history fact came from Effa or Efa. Effa Manley. Effa Manley. Right. Uh, all hell no went to the white substitute teacher that adorned an AKA jacket that was not hers. And we gave it up to Cleopas in our wilder white side. Who has been married. Those are some names, aren't they? Yes. Yes. I've heard Cleovis before, but Arwalda. <laughs> That's a new one. Like, on you. Like, I don't know, like, because you can call him Cleo, like Cleo, you know. <laughs> but I don't know you're going to call her Wilder. You know what it reminds me of? You can walk over here, but you're going to limp back. That was Cletus. Oh, Cletus. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. And so... This week is done, and as in parting, we always... Thank you, everybody, for taking time out of your busy schedule to hang out with us. And as always, in parting, we wish you love, peace, and knowledge to feed your soul. Knowledge to feed your soul, y'all. We will see y'all next week. Peace.